This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everyone. Today, we're kicking off a new season of WealthFest, the Weekly Bull and Bear. We're delighted to have Jonathan Golobot. He is the Chief U.S. Equity Strategist and Head of Quantitative Research at Credit Suisse. And, uh, definitely no stranger to the pod. He's been on several times before, and uh, we're delighted to have him back. With that, let's discuss the new year. Uh, Jonathan, uh, what are we looking at in terms of GDP, and which asset classes do you see performing well, and which might be in correction this year? All right. So let the, first, let's start with the economy. Um, this is going to be a very strong economic year. At least that's what the consensus expectations are among economists all across Wall Street and the Fed for that matter. And, and we, we agree. Just to put it in perspective, the U.S. GDP is expected to be just shy of 4% growth. To put that you know, in context, over the last 10 to 15 years, we've averaged less than 2%. So we're growing um, about twice as fast with all the problems that we have. And then if you also include that in nominal terms, you know, in, in terms of the the money that we spend every day, which would include inflation in it. Um, inflation is expected to also run just a little bit shy of uh, 4% for the, for the full year. So um, in dollar terms, the GDP is expected to come in about 7.5%. And those are, uh, really, those are really strong numbers. With, with respect to the overall um, the market, the big theme this year, and, and I know you guys are going to come back to it, is uh, the issue of, of inflation and, and really who are the beneficiaries, which individual stock, countries, sectors, whatever, and whether this is a benefit um, for certain parts of the investment picture and, and detriments for, for others. In general, the short answer is that the market still right now, even the last couple of months when inflation is spiking, the market actually goes up more on days where inflation surprises us and gets uh, stronger. Um, so, you know, we don't see inflation as a broad market headwind, and we think that we're going to have um, a low double digits uh, return this, this calendar year, not driven by sentiment, but really driven by, you know, earnings. And the earnings look really, uh, really strong. So, then you ask the question of kind of who the winners and losers are within the market. And I think that that's a, a bit of a different um, issue. The cyclical sectors, you know, energy, materials, industrials, and even, you know, retailers and consumer stocks, those tend to actually do pretty well when there is um, a bit of inflation. It's the rest of the market that seems to be to either be unaffected or, or, or to, to, you know, have a little bit of a problem with it. So, you know, for example, consumer staples companies, things you buy in the grocery store, those tend to not do as well when there's a little inflation. They have a harder time passing it on. Their expenses go up. Tech companies are kind of neutral on the whole thing. They're not big winners. They're not big losers. So there's definitely um, big differences, you know, in the group. And we are seeing the fourth quarter earnings season. We're, we're in the thick of it now. We have seen over the last 12 months, 360 companies over State Street earnings make up about 81% of market cap of the S&P 500, really the highest share since 2012. 
Are we expecting that trend to continue? And then secondly, are there any earning reports that you've found most interesting so far as, as we are in that season? If we look at the expectations for growth, and again, these are not necessarily Credit Suisse analyst numbers, but um, we look at the aggregate of all um, analysts across all Wall Street firms to kind of get a sense of what the market is expecting. The, the market is expecting 20 plus percent earnings growth this quarter, about 20, 21%. But the companies that are reporting so far are beating estimates and they're not beating by as much as they have in the last several quarters, but still, you know, something in the neighborhood of 6% beat on the, the earnings. So we would expect that when we're all done with this earnings season, we'll be about 25, 26% above where we were a year ago. And like that, those are, you know, those are really, really good numbers. Now, the problem, if you compare that to what we, what we had in growth, last quarter or the quarter before, it, it, it looks a little bit weaker, but that's just because those numbers were just, you know, insanely high. So it looks pretty healthy. And kind of getting back to this theme of kind of two markets, you have the cyclical groups, again, energy, materials, industrials, and discretionary. They are expected to grow a crazy 95 to 100% versus the same quarter last year. And the rest of the market, which is, you know, the rest of the market, but 80% of the market is expected to grow somewhere between eight and 9%. So eight and 9% is fine, you know, it's perfectly healthy. It's just that you have this kind of, this tail of stuff that really benefits from this kind of an economic backdrop that, um, that, that just looks so much stronger. And, and a question you didn't ask is, what, how much of this is likely to play into next year? Is this just a, this quarter or whatever? And almost all of these themes that we're talking about here are at least directionally expected to continue, you know, throughout 2022. One number uh, to certainly look at has been unemployment. Um, that's fallen to 3.9% in December. There's been no shortage of revisions. Uh, we've also seen wages increase uh, by more than expected 4.7% year over year, um, albeit, you know, inflation's obviously a factor in eating up some of those gains. But, I mean, in terms of the big three uh, parameters of employment, I mean, what do you think unemployment numbers are going to look like? Uh, what do you think wages are going to look like? And are we going to see an increase in uh, the labor force participation rate? It's just a fascinating period. I mean, when I was you know, back in business school uh, a million years ago, we were taught that uh, that that five percent um, unemployment was full employment. You couldn't get lower than that, and, and without having a you know a, a big problem. And we're way below that now. We got to the you know the lowest in 50 years right before the pandemic. We were at 3.5 percent, but but we're starting to see, or we have been seeing, companies really complaining. Um, about their inability to, to, to find labor. And, and so if, if in recent surveys, and there's all kinds of surveys that you have from small business, uh, you know, NFIB and from the conference board and the like, and when you ask small businesses especially what their biggest problem is, they don't say inflation or costs or expenses. Their number one thing that they say is inability to find labor. And the, the, one of the problems that we have is, 
is that at the current pace, we just the, the numbers keep falling on the unemployment rate, and we're going to likely see the unemployment rate. You know, the expectations are that we'll be in the mid threes at the end of the year. I think we're going to be much lower than that. I think we're going to be in the low threes, and by this time next year or mid next year, we may even be below three percent. Now, that's great in to the extent that a lot of Americans are going to have jobs that may not have jobs today, and 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 I and I applaud that. Um, on the other hand, it, it does mean that you're going to probably have more, which is, I think, the second part of your question, you can have more wage inflation. And it's, it's when you get so little unemployment, in order to get somebody to, to work, you're going to have to pay them more money. And, and more and more, you're not going to be hiring an unemployed person. You're going to be stealing him from another company and having to outbid his current employers. So um, wage inflation in, you know, in the mid fours right now is, it's kind of high. Um, it's good for individuals. It's, it's, it's a little bit of a challenge for companies, especially certain individual companies that have, uh, you know, large, you know, labor forces. But all indications are it's going to continue. And you also raised, I think, a terrific point, which is, is, is you know, people are finding they, they can get jobs, they're getting nice raises, but CPI, the inflation is running at about 7%. So, you know, if your wages are up less than the cost of living, you actually, you feel great that you got a little bit of a raise, but then you go to spend the money and you're realizing, gosh, I didn't have as much as, as I thought that I did. So I think that these issues are going to be important. I think they're going to be important politically in, you know, in, in a, you know, mid-year elections or, or this year, and people are going to say, you know, yeah, we can find jobs. Yeah, we're confident in that. But but we're not keeping, even with these big raises we're getting, we're not able to keep pace with the cost of living. The third question that you asked about this was um, labor force participation. And uh, it, what we saw during the, you know, in, in the last, really as a result of the pandemic, was a, a lot of people just said, I, I don't want to work anymore. And, 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 and it's not, a lot of that is attributed to, oh, well, people got these huge benefits from the government and therefore they just took their money and sat on their couch. But there's that, that, that's probably an incorrect uh, assessment of, of things. Um, what we're actually seeing is, is that the biggest drop out of the labor force are people over 55 who were nearing retirement. And what did they, what did they find? They found that their portfolios are up in value and their homes are up in value. And some of these people, as a result of, of you know, wealth effects are saying, well, I, I wanted to save a certain amount of money before I retired. I, I hit that number way earlier than I thought because of the, uh, because of what's been happening in the markets and I'm done. I'm going to move from wherever I live, maybe in the Northern part of the country to someplace warmer and sunnier and, and, and enjoy life a little bit more. So those folks are, you know, not only have they dropped that labor force, but even with wages going up, are a bit reluctant to go back in. And that looks like it's really sticky that the people who have decided to do something different, whether it's retiring or starting a small business, are, are kind of slow to jump back in. And that, that's a, that, that makes uh, things tight. Now, just, just one more point on that. Small business creation is up a lot. So if you've had some you know, maybe you're not close to retirement, but maybe you're in your 30s or 40s, you've actually made some money on your portfolio or your house value is up and you can tap that. And you say, you know what, I always wanted to start a small business. Let me give it a shot. And the labor market is so good. If it doesn't work out, 
any from now, there'll be a job waiting for me because, you know, conditions are, are good. So there's a huge number of new businesses that have been started, which is great, but it also means the companies are, are having a really hard time finding labor. And you have mentioned it twice, and I think everyone's holiday table had a mention of it from someone, and, and, and that is inflation. So we did see the CPI or the consumer price index rise to 7% in December. Really, that represents the highest rate since 1982. If you just even look at core CPI, excluding food and energy, that was up to 5.5. Do we think inflation begins to settle out through the year? And, and how much of this is attributed to supply shortages versus accommodative monetary and fiscal policy? Uh, well, so let's start with, and, and there's going to be a theme here with what you're going to hear me talk about, which is, you know, what does Jonathan think? What does Credit Suisse think? And, and separately, what's the general consensus view? And, and so it's, it's important to start with what is, what is the general view? What is it that, that Wall Street and economists at the Fed and, and the like uh, believe? And the, the consensus belief is that we're going to have um, inflation fall pretty precipitously over the next year, year and a half. So today, it's, CPI is at seven. And the consensus expectations are that by the end of the year, we'll be about 2.8. And 2.8 is a little high, but not, not troubling. Um, the Fed, in their estimates, thinks it will be a little bit lower than that, at, at about 2.6%. I think that they're going to be wrong. I think that, that the numbers are going to be, be higher than that, and that this is going to be harder to get through. The first thing that we're seeing right now is that oil prices are, are up. And so you talked about core, you know, inflation where you take out oil. Um, but if you look at the money that people spend, which include home heating, which is up, and oil prices, which are up, uh, that's going to be, that's going to push higher on inflation. Home values are, um, have, have gone up, which is a good thing if you're a homeowner, but it, um, but, but rents are also up and, and that is part of uh, CPI or the owner's equivalent rent. So that puts up with pressure. And if you look at things kind of, you know, what, when did the inflation hit? It actually looks like, it, you know, we'll probably have inflation stay at similar levels to this or maybe even go up a little bit more through about the March, April timeframe, and then they'll start to roll over. So I think it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be uh, thicker and I think it's going to be um, an issue all around. I think that, it's going to end up being part of the political debate that we're going to hear around the midterms. It's it's an issue for companies to manage. And listen, I, I, I have, I've had conversations with family members who are retired who are saying, you know, listen, how do I hold a bond portfolio if, uh, you know, if, if the bond is yielding, uh, you know, my bond's yielding a couple percent and I'm paying 7% more to live, does this make sense? How do I want to think about things? Do I need to change the way I behave? So it really is becoming... Uh, an issue that, that, that's just part of every, you know, all of our other discussions. Big talk, obviously, is um, what the Fed's going to do. And it obviously looks like it's a big shift in policy. Their December minutes indicated they would be raising rates, tapering asset purchases, and also be undergoing a balance sheet reduction. Um, what do you think we're looking at in terms of rate hikes, uh, amount of asset purchase, purchases, and so forth? Again, if we look at what the, the 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 consensus view, and here, if you look at I, I look at the futures markets, we actually 
you can actually wager, if you will, on, on what the Fed's going to do in the futures market. And the expectations are that if we look out over the next, let's say, two and a half years, that the Fed is going to get to what I'll call a terminal rate. How far, how far can they push up the you know, short-term interest rates? That they'll get to about you know, 1.6, 1.7% on um, Fed funds. So they, they have something in the neighborhood of you know, six or seven moves in total and they'll do something like, you know, three-ish this year and, you know, three next year or something like that. And they'll, they'll get to that number. There's a lot of folks who are a bit freaked out by that because they're like, well, the Fed's going to, they're pulling the punch ball away. They're raising interest rates. And this is, this, you know, this is bad. And they, they look at it a few ways, but I disagree with that assessment for a few reasons. First of all, the economy, the first question you ask me, is, how's the economy doing? And the economy is growing twice as fast as usual. And, you know, and inflation is running you know, much faster than it has over the last, you know, 15, 20 years. And even if we got to one and a half or two percent, uh, you know, Fed funds, this would still be an incredibly accommodative environment. And I think that that's really important. So it's not only the rate of change, but where is this compared to what policy should look like or has historically looked like? And, and this is a, a particularly dovish backdrop if it, in fact, uh, were to, uh, to, uh, you know, occur. So I, I think that that's positive. The second story is that a lot of people have said, well, the stock market's done just great, but a lot of that has been because, it, you know, the, the, the government's been printing, you know, running the printing presses and the Fed is buying up assets and it's all this free money and cash flows that are pushing the stock market up. And if that ends, Boy, is is that going to you know put a wrinkle in in things? But if you actually analyze the the data, what you see is that in the last twelve months or so, that the corporate profits have gone up you know much more than the stock market has. And so if the if the E goes up more than the P, your P ratio, your valuation on the market comes down. And so in the last, the market's not going up because PE ratios are rising and PE ratios have been falling. So we were like at a PE of 22 and a half, you know, a, a little over a year ago, and we are at something closer to 20 and a half today. So the market's actually become cheaper. So this argument that it's free capital and Fed and, and government, you know, programs that have all, that have been what's propping up the market and therefore that's a risk if we lose it. That's just that the data doesn't support that. I, I, if you said to me what, what my biggest concern is, is that if the, you know, if the Fed were to say, listen, this inflation thing is a really huge problem and we're going to need to raise rates in, enough to do kind of what Paul Volcker did in the early 1980s, we're going to crush inflation and bring it back down. And, and if we have to, you know, really slow the economy, we'll do it. They, they don't seem to want to go that path. They, they, they really want to be supportive of, of jobs and, and the economy. And yes, they're getting away from zero interest rates, but nothing points to me that they're looking to beat up on the economy and cause job losses and things like that. So I think it's going to stay pretty strong. Now, you ask a different question about uh, balance sheet reductions. And it, as, as everybody listening knows, you know, the, the, the Fed has put in place this QE program where they bought up assets and these assets, you know, by, by buying a bond, 
the Fed basically is injecting money into the economies. When they buy the bond, they have to pay for it. That money then goes into the economy. There's so much liquidity that a lot of this money that they've been injecting in the economy doesn't really get used. And I don't want to get too wonky here on the details, but there's something called this you know, reverse repo. But basically the banks are sitting with all this capital that the Fed put into the system by doing what you know we talked about by QE. And the banks are like, oh, we don't need all this money. They they, you know, it's there's too much capital here. So what do the banks do? They lend it back to the Fed. And and, and so it's kind of this sort of weird circular thing that the Fed put the money to the economy, the economy didn't need the money, the economy gave it back. So this it's not clear that the Fed shrinking the size of the balance sheet isn't simply right-sizing the, 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 the you know, available global liquidity. If effectively, if they've overdone it, they're just kind of bringing it back into line with normal. So I know that when I, when I talk to equity investors, hedge funds or, or, or portfolio managers or whatever, that they tend to be pretty wigged out about the idea of, you know, quantitative tightening. But when I speak to, to bond investors, not equity guys, they're like, yeah, it's a lot more complicated and it's probably not as big a deal. And an interesting number that people do look at, and especially in the bond markets, is the 10-year treasury. We saw today it went up to 1.9% before retreating. First couple of weeks of the year, we've seen it climb. Also, corporate bonds and investment-grade bonds that may be evaluated for upgrade is in the hundreds of billions. As you just mentioned, balance sheets are, are, have improved, cash on hand you know, a very loaded question, but I'm going to throw it at you anyways. What should we be looking at in the bond market coming into 2022, especially as we think rates are going to begin to rise? All right. So I'm going to answer each question the same way I kind of have been doing this. Is what, what do people expect? And the expectations right now, we, we have interest rates at about 1.8%. And whether they're a little bit higher, a little bit lower is kind of noise. Um, so what is, is Wall Street expecting? expecting over the next, you know, two or three years? And the answer is very little. Um, the, the market is expecting 10-year bond yields to go up, you know, another 20 basis points, you know, two-tenths of a percent, and, and not that much. So the market's really saying is interest rates are not going to run away from us, that yes, they may go higher, but it's not really a big problem. If you look at the expectations for a 30-year bond, they are expected to basically move not at all for the next, you know, several years or longer. And so what the market is expecting is that the short end of the curve, um, Fed funds or a two, one or two year or five year treasury to go up in yield. But the market's actually predicting that the yield curve is going to flatten. The, the 30 doesn't move at all. The 10 moves a little and the, and the short end of the curve moves a ton. And that's kind of a really interesting prediction the market's making, because when the yield curve gets very flat, right, um, then it tends to indicate that a recession may be around the corner. And I don't believe that a recession is around the corner, but there's this very strange signal that's out there, which says the 10 years not going to move, the short end of the curve will, and, and that's something I'm watching. So it's, I'm watching uh, several things. Then you talked about corporate credit, which is I'm, I'm really glad that you did. Because when you look at the cost of borrowing for a company, it's not a government bond yield. It's 
it's the full cost of credit, you know, including, you know, their, their the credit spread they have to pay. The cost of, of borrowing is still really, really uh, low, which is supportive. There's two or three things I care about. The tenure I care about, but I care about the steepness of the yield curve, the, the difference between short-term lending rates and longer term. That's expected to flatten. That's not a great signal. And then also, you know, um, this, this issue of a credit spread, or putting it differently, are companies making their loan payments, um, whether it be to a bank or whether it be to a, you know, to the bondholders. And the, and the answer on those is absolutely, that's incredibly healthy and corporate spreads are really tight. So um, there's some risk there. There's no question about it, but I'm reasonably optimistic that things aren't going to run away from us. Great. Um, I think that's all we have uh, today, Jonathan. Uh, we certainly appreciate it. And for all our you know, listeners out there, um, we'll be back next week and uh, we look forward to a great season. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.